Can you dream of a world immune to cancer? Hello everyone, my name is Nick and I'm the host of the annual live stream for The Cure where content creators and podcasters from around the world join me to raise money for the Cancer Research Institute and Immunotherapy Research, which is training the body's immune system to fight against all forms of cancer. Over the past seven years, thanks to the power of indie podcasters and the indie podcasting community and listeners just like you listening to this right now, we have raised over $90,000. And as I record this now, the eighth annual live stream for The Cure is barreling down upon us really, really quickly in just about two weeks. So join us, please, from May 29th through June 1st for 48 hours of amazing content from people all over the world and help us fight for a world immune to cancer. I'll now return you to your regularly scheduled programming. Thank you so, so much. And together... We can make a difference. But my all-time favorite, it's... Remember me. Though I have to say goodbye, remember me. Don't let it make you cry. For even if I'm far away, I hold you in my heart. I sing a secret song to you each night we are apart. Remember me. Though I have to travel far, remember me. He lived the kind of life you dream about. Me. Until 1942, when he was crushed by a giant bell. I want to be just like him. In a world overflowing with movies, we need a hero. Someone to separate the bad from the good. Hi everyone, Happy New Year! I'm Em and welcome to 2021 and Verbal Diorama episode 75, Coco. This is the podcast that's all about the history and legacy of movies you know and movies you don't. So firstly, I hope everyone had a fun and safe festive period and obviously welcome to animation season 2021. Uh, This season will run through January and February and showcase 10 animated movies from different studios, different countries, different animation styles. And if you're new to this podcast, obviously welcome, as always. But you're probably wondering, well, why is she focusing on animation for two months? And there's a really simple reason for that, is that I feel like animation gets an incredibly short shift from some parts of the film community. And that's mainly because there's a strong tradition right now to adapt older animated movies into live action uh, as if it's like the superior format but animation is actually superior to live action in so many ways because absolutely anything can be animated it's an all-encompassing art form Uh, it's never just for children and it's also not a genre that is very important this season exists to highlight fantastic animation movies you know and movies you don't to coin a phrase but all of them are very deserving of your time 
I'm going to be covering traditional animation and stop motion, but um, I'm starting with the newest movie in the season uh, from 2017, as well as the highest grossing movie of the season. Uh, And obviously it's CG animated as well. And obviously that is Pixar's Coco. And truthfully, Coco is something I've mentioned on this podcast before. Back in episode 29, which was on Kubo and the Two Strings, uh, I mentioned Coco as they both deal with death and also remembering loved ones. Uh, Coco hits that home a lot stronger, though, than Kubo does. Um, And I just wanted to mention as well, the final movie of last year was Gremlins. And, um, And kind of a bit like Gremlins, it kind of came out at a time when quite a lot of podcasts were releasing Gremlins episodes. But I'm actually really happy with the reception that Gremlins got because I had some really nice comments. Um, and I'll be completely honest, when you've got a podcast, um, and obviously I've been running this podcast for a couple of years almost, Christmas download numbers are kind of never the greatest. Um, but do you know what? Gremlins actually did a lot better than I anticipated. So I'm really happy. Um, and I hope that you enjoyed listening to Gremlins as much as I enjoyed making Gremlins, so to speak, even though I didn't actually make any. Um, but the vast majority of the positive comments were for Jess and how funny she is. <laughs> so, <laughs> so she was very happy. She loves her adoring fans. Um, to be honest, she's probably more popular than I am on this podcast. So, um, I think that just kind of says something about me, but without further ado, uh, let's visit the small town of Santa Cecilia. Dia de los Muertos and the Rivera family and apologies in advance if I butcher any pronunciations in Spanish. Uh, (laughs) I'm not a Spanish speaker. Uh, I know a couple of Spanish words but obviously if I get something wrong, apologies. So here's the trailer for Coco. Every year, grandkids, cousins, pretty much everyone gets together. Even great-grandma Coco. And the winner is... I tell her pretty much everything. I used to run like this, but now I run like this, which is way faster. Life sounds like... Miguel, eat your food. Here, have some more. No, gracias. I mean, see? <laughs> That's what I thought you said. Dia de los Muertos has begun. It's the one night of the year our ancestors can come visit us. I thought it might have been one of those made-up things. I was just... Tonight is about family. I am not like the rest of my family. There's something that makes me different. Great-great-grandfather, I want to be a musician just like you. All right, who's in there? I'm sorry. Welcome to the land of your ancestors. <laughs> Miguel? We're your family. You're skeletons. You're alive. You've got to get home before sunrise or you'll be stuck here <laughs> forever. <laughs> Security. Hurry, come on. It's showtime. You, my boy, are meant to be a musician. I must follow my heart. I am trying to save your life. Nice kitty. Miguel, something's mattered more than music. (gasps) Sorry. We may have our differences, but nothing's more important than family. 
you. Go! It's just Dante. Never name a street dog. They'll follow you forever. Now, go get my shoe. The rebellious Miguel, a 12-year-old Mexican boy and hopeful musician, is unable to understand the family's continuing ban on all music, especially when his icon and the greatest guitar player to ever live, the deceased Ernesto de la Cruz, is the town's hero. Miguel learns that Ernesto de la Cruz is the mysterious great-great-grandfather who left the family to find fame. And to prove his musical genealogy, Miguel borrows de la Cruz's guitar from his shrine on the sacred Day of the Dead, and he's magically transported to the distant and bustling land of the dead, where he meets Hector, who promises Miguel he knows Ernesto and can reunite the pair. But can they do it before sunrise? I mean, let's be honest, that, <laughs> that synopsis is pretty vague. This is a movie that is encompassing so many amazing things about Mexican culture, about Spanish. Um, so let's go through the cast, because this is a primary Latino cast, Anthony Gonzalez as Miguel, Gael Garcia Bernal as Hector, Benjamin Bratt as Ernesto de la Cruz, Alana Ubach as Mama Imelda, Rene Victor as Abuelita Elena, Anna Ophelia Morgoya as Mama Coco, Edward James Olmos as Chicharon, Alfonso Arau as Papa Julio, and also John Ratzenberger makes a small appearance as Juan Antodoncia. Uh, the screenplay was by Adrian Molina and Matthew Aldrich. The story by Lee Unkrich, Jason Katz, Matthew Aldrich and Adrian Molina. It was directed by Lee Unkrich, who started as an editor on Toy Story, uh, as well as co-directing Toy Story 2, Monsters Inc and Finding Nemo and writing and directing Toy Story 3. He actually left Pixar in 2019 to focus on his family, but Coco was co-directed by Adrian Molina, who I'm going to come to in a bit. So let's start with the origins of Dia de los Muertos, the Mexican celebration of the Day of the Dead. It's usually held on All Souls Day, uh, the 2nd of November. This is as opposed to the Spanish and Latin American tradition of holding it on the 1st of November, which is All Saints Day. Mexico actually switched the festivities to distinguish it from the Hispanic Catholic Festival. Obviously, All Saints Day is the day after Halloween and is a holy day to honour saints and martyrs and is considered a universal Christian holy day. The three-day period consisting of Halloween or All Hallows' Eve, to give it its proper name, All Saints Day and All Souls' Day is known collectively as All Hallowtide. The final day of All Hallowtide is All Souls' Day and is a commemoration of all faithful Christians who are honoured by their living relatives by visiting their graves, saying prayers, attending mass and decorating the churchyards. The Mexican Day of the Dead is not a day for mourning loved ones. It's a day of remembrance and celebration. And while Coco isn't the first animated movie to feature the Day of the Dead, it's the one that gives it the most significance. Because I do want to talk about The Book of Life too, uh, which is another very well-known animated movie that talks about the Day of the Dead. I want to talk about it because a lot of people compare it to Coco. Um... And a lot of that is kind of unjustified, really. Um, but I'll talk about the Book of Life a bit later, sort of as a comparison piece to Coco. Uh, the traditions that take place on the Day of the Dead often vary from community to community, but celebrations are always local and very family-orientated. It was actually the James Bond movie Spectre who invented a city-wide Day of the Dead parade for that movie. 
And it was after that movie that Mexico City actually hosted its first Day of the Dead parade in 2016. And they actually used costumes and props from Spectre. The origins of Coco as a movie started back in 2010 when Lee Unkrich pitched an idea when Toy Story 3 was released. The pitch was about a Mexican-American child learning about their Mexican heritage after his mother dies. And seriously, we need to talk to Disney about dead mothers because dead mothers are always a thing. Uh, And I don't know why. Why is it never dead fathers? Why is it always dead mothers? Um, But anyway, uh, this idea was reworked into a story about Dia de los Muertos, holding on to the memories of our ancestors and not letting their memories die. And it was adjusted to focus on a Mexican child in Mexico. And Uncritch, who is not of Mexican descent, felt a huge responsibility to make the movie as culturally accurate as possible and really felt the pressure of the responsibility on his shoulders to get this movie right. He'd just finished work on Toy Story 3 and felt immense pressure to not be the guy who ruined Pixar's greatest and most well-loved and beloved film franchises. Uh, in Toy Story, and I've spoken about Toy Story, it's episode 50 of this podcast, and Toy Story 2 isn't actually in this animation season, but I will be talking Toy Story 2 next year at some point, or this year actually I should say, (laughs) because it's 2021, I'm recording this in 2020, (laughs) but I mean this year as in 2021, as in when you're listening to this, and hopefully I will get around to Toy Story 3 as well, because I really do feel like Toy Story is the perfect trilogy, And that's kind of without Keanu being in those movies. Although I still maintain that Duke Kaboom is present in that universe. Um, And also Buzz Lightyear is briefly seen in Santa Cecilia, which means Duke Kaboom is present in the Coco universe too. That's not my obligatory Keanu reference, but uh, it's just just nice to know. Uh, The character of Miguel was originally called Marco and several versions of the story were drafted all based around Dia de los Muertos, uh, which was actually a working title for the movie, but more on that in a bit. It was originally conceived as a full-blown musical. Uh, One version of the story had a curse by which the family are cursed to sing instead of speak, which evolved into a storyline where music is banned by the family. But obviously you can't have a full-blown musical where the family bans music because that doesn't actually make any sense. Um, So Coco was originally announced by Pixar in 2011, except obviously it wasn't called Coco at that time. And production started in 2011 with a 2017 release date and production actively continuing during that time. Coco actually holds the record for Pixar's longest production schedule. Like Disney did with Moana before it, Pixar brought in cultural consultants as well as extensively travelled in Mexico and it was this research which brought upon the notion of three deaths. That the first death was when your heart stopped and the second death was when you were buried or cremated and the third and final death is sort of the end of deaths because that's when no one living remembers you and this final death was used as the core idea for Coco that the central character of the movie wouldn't be our protagonist Miguel, but the titular Coco, who's obviously not in the movie all that much, but as this kind of frail elderly woman suffering from dementia, starting to forget her absent father. And the reason why he never returned to his wife and daughter um, is obviously something that the movie does go into. Co-screenwriter Adrian Molina, a graduate of CalArts and a former Pixar intern, worked with Unkrich on Toy Story 3 as a storyboard artist. He started working on Coco as a story artist for the first few years of development, but he actually started submitting his own ideas as a Mexican-American based on his own family history and stories. 
he started submitting actual pages of screenplay and they were really good. Uh, And eventually he was asked to take over duties as a screenwriter. And not only that, eventually he served as co-director of the movie because his knowledge and experience was so pivotal to this production that he even became co-director. And it was little touches like having a Mexican-American co-director and screenplay writer doing the necessary homework and an almost complete Latino cast, with the one exception being John Ratzenberger. Uh, But obviously he's been in every Pixar movie to date. He's kind of their good luck charm, so it makes sense for him to be there. Um, As well as they used as much authentic and colloquial Spanish as possible. And it really does help to make Coco feel authentic. Spanish is used primarily for things like signs, unless English is necessary. Uh, Abuelita calls Miguel Mijo. Abuelita is called Abuelita instead of Grandma. Um, I'm not a Spanish speaker, as I said, but these are words that I've picked up from not only this movie, but also TV shows that really represent uh, Latinx culture. Shows like One Day at a Time and Jane the Virgin, uh, both of which I really love. And both of them, like Coco, show Latina matriarchal family units of multiple generations with an abuela or abuelita at the helm. Um, And it's another reason why representation is so important. And it's so the Latinx community can see themselves on screen, which is very important. But also so that white people, like me, who might know nothing about Hispanic communities and culture can not only see that, but also understand it. And and the way I see it is how could we not want that? I want it. I want to see it in my movies because white people have enough movies. We have enough movies about ourselves. I want to see more movies like this. I want to understand Mexican culture. Um, I find it really fascinating because this is the only way that I will ever probably really truly be able to go into Mexican family life um, and, and obviously with TV shows as well. Um, Jane the Virgin is finished. One Day at a Time, I believe, has been cancelled again and we never got the, the last season of that. It's unfortunate, really, that these kind of shows and movies are few and far between because I can only see good things in having movies and TV shows like this. I want to know more. <laughs> about Mexican history and culture. And the look of Coco is probably one of Pixar's most striking. Uh, Santa Cecilia is kind of purposefully muted in colour. And the Land of the Dead is like a striking opposite with very vibrant colour and lighting, Mexican iconography. um, And the idea that the city was built upwards as opposed to Santa Cecilia's small, flat, one-storey homes. Skeletons were a first for Pixar's animation department and they studied skulls to find out how they could portray emotion through bone with no muscles or skin. The result was skeletons that looked like their real-life counterparts' photo on the ofrenda, which was also turned into a plot point that your face had to match the photo on the ofrenda or you couldn't pass over to celebrate the Day of the Dead in the Land of the Living. Uh, The opening, which was 2D animated to look like Papal Picardo, is traditional tissue paper art, which again kind of nods to Kubo and its use of traditional Japanese paper art. Even little things I really appreciated about this movie was things like the guitar chords are animated correctly and they line up with the actual chords that Miguel is playing. Uh, And obviously that homemade guitar is really something else. Um, And I also really like the fact that all of the technology in The Land of the Dead is dead technology. So you have things like typewriters and old CRT screens, uh, which (laughs) it's just a really nice touch to have literally everything in the land of the dead 
as being dead. When was the last time you used a typewriter? Uh, I don't even know when the last time was I did. Um, And making sure Coco was culturally conscious and sensitive was Pixar's main goal. They wanted it to be a true representation of Dia de los Muertos that didn't offend Mexican people, but that the rest of the world could understand. And while the gestational periods overlapped, I mentioned in the episode on Moana that there were some parts of that movie that some Polynesian people found slightly offensive. And it seems like on the whole, Pixar did a good job with Coco, but that doesn't mean that Coco was without controversy. The first was that in their travels, the producers of Coco had visited Santa Fe de la Laguna and in the town they had found Maria de la Salud Ramirez Caballero, an elderly lady who bears a striking resemblance to Mama Coco. Producers spoke with her, they took her picture, they spoke with her about her family. Uh, While the production team have recognised and acknowledged that they based the multi-generational matriarchal Rivera family on real-world families they met on these trips to Mexico, they have not acknowledged Maria de la Salud Ramirez Caballero, who has gone on to find sort of a level of fame from the association with Coco, including from international tourists who visit the town to see Mama Coco, uh, even though she's obviously not Mama Coco. Uh, the family have said they don't want royalties. They just want her to receive official recognition from Disney and Pixar for her contribution to Coco, which is yet to occur. And to be honest, it probably may never occur. The second was that Disney, in their infinite wisdom, decided in 2013 that they wanted to trademark Dia de los Muertos for merchandise and related promotional material. At the time, Dia de los Muertos was the working title for the film. Of course, this is like trademarking Easter or Christmas. You just can't do it. Uh, And it was clearly met with very strong criticism from the Mexican-American community. Mexican-American cartoonist Lalo Alcaraz drew a film poster called Muerto Mouse, which was a huge skeletal Mickey Mouse with the tagline, I'm coming to trademark your cultura. A petition on change.org gathered 21,000 signatures complaining the trademark attempt was exploitation and typical of Disney's attitude to consume everything it touches. A week later, Disney withdrew the trademark attempt. But not only that, they hired Lalo Alcaraz as a consultant for Coco, as well as playwright Octavio Solis and Marcela Davison Aviles, the former CEO of the Mexican Heritage Corps, as part of the cultural consultation group that would ensure Coco was culturally sensitive and in no way appropriating or misrepresenting Mexican tradition. They changed the name of the movie from Dia de los Muertos to Coco um, and changing that name was a good thing because the movie isn't about the Day of the Dead. The Day of the Dead is just a part of it. So this might be a good idea to talk about the Day of the Dead shaped elephant in the room that is the Book of Life. Um, Now you may not know what the Book of Life is. It's another animated movie set around Dia de los Muertos, which came out in 2014, so three years before this movie. It was directed by Jorge R. Gutierrez. It was produced by the one and only Guillermo del Toro. And the production companies were 20th Century Fox Animation and Real FX Animation. Uh, The Book of Life is about a young man in a Mexican town who wants to be a musician against his family's wishes and ends up in the land of the dead. Now, I've purposely made that sound familiar because the bare bones of the stories are very familiar. Um, But the comparisons between the two kind of end there. Um, 
yes, they are similar movies, but while The Book of Life, it's not a terrible movie. It's actually very pretty and it's fun to watch. I actually rewatched it uh, a few days ago for this episode and several things struck me to the major differences between Coco and The Book of Life. Because while Coco painstakingly tries to make its world as real as possible, The Book of Life really doesn't. It's animated as a puppet show, as the story is essentially being told by puppets. So the animation styles are totally different. Um, And while what I said is kind of true, The Book of Life has a slightly more convoluted plot around a love triangle. It's kind of got a bit of Romeo and Juliet thrown in. But I don't want to take too much away from The Book of Life. And I don't want anyone to get put off watching The Book of Life. Um, It's just that Coco takes a bit more time with its story. And while there is a central theme between the two, kind of about not being forgotten, uh, Coco hits that beat way more effectively than The Book of Life does. Um, I kind of feel like in many ways they're incomparable. The Book of Life is kind of stylized and fantastical, whereas Coco is emotionally and culturally resonant and very grounded as well. But, you know, if you do like Coco, then search out The Book of Life. Like I say, it's not a terrible movie. It's actually quite a sweet, fun movie. Um, It's not streaming online here in the UK, but it is available to rent on Amazon Prime Video for a few quid. Um, Like I said, it's enjoyable. It's pretty. It's a little inconsequential, sort of, compared to Coco. But even if Pixar did take a few ideas from The Book of Life, you know, that's hardly new. I mean... You know, Armageddon and Deep Impact were pretty much the same. Uh, No Strings Attached and Friends with Benefits were the same. Dante's Peak and Volcano were the same. So, you know, similar movies happen all the time. The most important thing that I kind of take from this and that I want you to take from this is that Coco is by far the superior movie. And that's not me being negative about The Book of Life. They're just different. But, you know, The Book of Life has some really interesting concepts, basically around things like the, the, the gods of death which is something that Coco doesn't do. It's also got Ron Perlman in the movie as well, because obviously Ron Perlman and Guillermo del Toro, they work a lot together. And you know how much I love Ron Perlman. And you can tell it's Ron Perlman in this movie. But that's one of the things that The Book of Dead doesn't really do that Coco does. Um, The Book of Dead, it does have some Latinx actors, but not to the extent of Coco. Yeah, Coco is kind of better. (laughs) It's just, it is though. Maybe, maybe one day in the future, I will do an episode on The Book of Life. But Coco is the better movie. Uh, it, it just is. So I mentioned earlier about an obligatory Keanu reference to this movie, that the kind of one already existed in my head canon. Um, but there is actually a proper one. So we're going to go into the obligatory Keanu reference. And if you don't know, this is where I try and link the movie that I'm featuring with Keanu Reeves. It shouldn't be easy to link Keanu Reeves to Coco, but amazingly, it actually really is. Because the colour in Coco's Land of the Dead is actually inspired by John Wick's use of colour, especially when it comes to blues and purples. The use of colour in John Wick movies is actually something that I talk about in episode 42, which is an episode that comprises the whole of the John Wick trilogy, even though we know there's a fourth one coming out now. But, um... That guest starred Derek and Laurel from The Midnight Myth. And that's a really, really fun episode. We do talk a lot about colour and the use of colour. And uh, and they really go into the mythology and the folklore surrounding John Wick. And obviously, when we're talking about the Day of the Dead, there's a hell of a lot of mythology and folklore just around the Day of the Dead. Um, things like the dog Dante is obviously a Zolo dog. 
Um, and it's a dog that is very important to Mexican culture. And the dog is called Dante. And the first thing that springs to mind when you think of Dante is Dante's Inferno. Um, and apparently that is an actual reference in the movie. Uh, so, but that's the first thing I think of when I think of Dante. I don't think of Peak. I think of Inferno. Um, obviously, I think of Dante's Peak second. Uh, but anyway, um, moving on to the music, because the music is used so effectively in this movie. It's the combination of the emotion and what you're seeing on the screen and the beautiful music that really kind of swells your tear ducts. And obviously, I've mentioned Michael Giacchino before. He has done some wonderful scores for Pixar movies. One of my favourites is The Incredibles. And this is another beautiful Michael Giacchino score. And the songs were written by Kristen Anderson Lopez and Robert Lopez. They are most famous for writing the songs for Frozen. And the songs were also written by co-director Adrian Molina and Jermaine Franco. Uh, Remember Me, which is probably the most well-known song uh, of this movie, was written by Kristen Anderson Lopez and Robert Lopez. And it ended up winning the Oscar for Best Original Song at the 90th Academy Awards, because of course it did. Um, And obviously when it came to marketing Coco, this was such an important movie to Mexican people. And it was marketed extensively in Mexico. They used traditional wall-painted murals, um, things that had never been used before to advertise a movie. They're used for Coco. Um, and it really, really helped to get Coco noticed because when it was released in Mexico on the 27th of October, 2017, it was purposefully released the weekend before Dia de los Muertos, just so it could get the Mexican bums on seats. And then it was released in the US over Thanksgiving 2017. So that was about three weeks after Mexico. Uh, Here in the UK, and I've mentioned this a couple of times, we had to wait. So we had to wait until January 2018. And from what I remember at the time, um, we didn't really get very heavy marketing for Coco. Usually the latest Pixar movie is a big deal, no matter where you are in the world. But I certainly recall not seeing much in the way of trailers and certain things that you would see for a Pixar movie, like like ads on TV and toys and all of that sort of stuff. We didn't really have that in the UK for Coco. And so consequently, I didn't see Coco in the cinema because it kind of flew under the radar a little bit. But obviously once I did see it, I completely fell in love with it. And it was one of those where I kind of felt, why didn't I see this at the cinema? Um, But I, I think it was genuinely because it... It just wasn't really heavily marketed over here. And I've mentioned on this podcast actually before that China uh, has very strict rules when it comes to censorship. And usually anything containing ghosts or the supernatural or spiritual tends to be banned from release in China. And the rumour was that China would just outright ban Coco. But after the Chinese censors saw Coco, they were so moved by it, they were moved by its warmth and the happy ending that they actually granted Coco not only a release in China, um, but also they did not cut the movie at all. Which is astonishing because China is so strict about movies. And obviously the fact that it was released in China obviously helped to propel it to, to become one of the highest grossing animated movies ever. Because when you have the lucrative Chinese market on your side, um, of course you're going to rake in the money. It was also the first Pixar movie to be released without an accompanying Pixar short. Uh, Instead, it was released for a limited time with a Frozen short called Olaf's Frozen Adventure. 
And this faced a bit of a backlash at the time because this short wasn't really all that short. It was 21 minutes long. And so if you kind of think about the length of an average episode of The Simpsons without adverts, probably about the same. And this meant that families who'd been expecting to sit and watch Coco were kind of sitting and watching 20 minutes worth of Frozen instead. And many of them actually wondered if they were in the right screening. And most Pixar shorts are about, you know, six to eight minutes long. So cinema goers were not prepared for a 21-minute Frozen movie before they watched Coco, uh, which is obviously Frozen. It's not a Pixar movie. Uh, <laughs> it's a Disney movie. Um, and obviously I know Disney own Pixar, but still, usually you get a Pixar short. Um, and for this, you didn't. So this Frozen short, Olaf's Frozen Adventure, was supposed to be a Christmas special, but for some reason it got kind of appended onto Coco. But not for long, because due to the negative feedback, Disney removed it from the start of Coco. And so subsequently, people who then went to see Coco in the cinema, they actually got to see Coco instead of 20 minutes worth of Frozen. Because let's be honest, Coco is an hour and 49 minutes. So if you've got that and you've got children you're not going to want an extra 20 minutes of time onto your cinema viewing because kids get restless. They're there to see Coco. They don't want to see Frozen. So going back to Mexico, obviously, uh, when it was released in Mexico, Coco grossed $9.3 million on its opening weekend. That was the biggest opening weekend for an original animated film and the biggest debut for an animated film outside of the summer movie season. It became the fastest 10-day grocer for an animated feature in Mexico. It ended up making $57 million in Mexico. It actually passed 2012's The Avengers to become the highest grossing film in Mexico uh, in 2017. And it remained the highest grossing film in Mexico until, ironically, Avengers Endgame overtook it. Uh, Avengers Endgame made $77.6 million last year. Coco currently sits at number 20 in the highest grossing animated films of all time. This is just after Shrek the Third and just before Shrek Forever After. So there's a little Shrek sandwich with Coco as the filling. So I've already mentioned that Coco won the Best Original Song at the 90th Academy Awards. Um, it also won Best Animated Feature um, at that same Academy Awards. That was against The Boss Baby, The Breadwinner, Ferdinand and Loving Vincent. It also won the Golden Globe for Best Animated Feature Film, um, and it also got a nomination for Best Original Song at the Golden Globes, and it also won a BAFTA for Best Animated Film. Um, generally, I talk about kind of the, the major awards, so your Academy Awards, your BAFTAs, your Golden Globes, but Coco got an incredible amount of award nominations. That award season, it was nominated for 91 awards in total, and it won 68 of those awards. Um, and it's, it's just well-deserved because it's just an astonishing achievement in pretty much every respect. Just to kind of talk about sequels, because Pixar have never announced an official sequel to Coco. But then I found a couple of websites that were pointing to a source for a sequel. Uh, and an IMDb list appeared, and the word list is important. So a list appeared for a movie called Coco 2, Return to the Land of the Living. <laughs> uh, yeah, so this IMDb list, the synopsis is as follows. Coco 2 is an upcoming Pixar movie coming out in October, November 2020. Distributed by Walt Disney Pictures and Pixar Animation Studios. Plot, 
It's been six years since the events happened for Miguel, but when Hector, Imelda and, and his great-great-grandparents need Miguel's help to come back to the land of the living because some mysterious sinister mass skeleton is haunting and rules their world with an iron fist and sword and hates music. Miguel, Dante, Hector and Imelda get help from a Zorro type of hero named Delgado. He fights for his friends, families and his loved ones and he's a little cuckoo. I kind of, I, I, I read that verbatim. Uh, he's a little cuckoo. I think they mean cuckoo. Uh, it's clearly not real. And obviously the fact it's an IMDb list and not a page is kind of the first clue. And obviously October, November 2020 has kind of passed. They took six years to make Coco. So I kind of feel like a sequel would take more than three years. I kind of feel like Pixar might have announced it already. Um, and the plot itself... I mean, it's pretty badly worded and it actually comes from a place called Movie Ideas Wiki. And I kind of feel like it's a bit of a stretch that Pixar would put their scope for a sequel on a wiki, which obviously anyone can edit. It just, it's kind of like putting a script on a wiki. Like, why would you? If anyone can edit it, it doesn't make sense. To me, it would be very hard to make a sequel to Coco without diluting the message of Coco. That family, whether that's, by blood or chosen family is important um we should take the time to get to know our families so that when they do pass away we can pass their stories on to the next generation because it's only when we forget them that they truly die it makes you think about your own mark on the world you know what will i be remembered for what stories will my family tell about me when probably that i had a kick-ass podcast and at least my voice is immortalized online for future generations to listen to so you know hi future members of my family <laughs> if you're listening to this hi i'm here um right i want to move on to social media thoughts but uh, a new feature that i'm going to be doing now is uh, a special section just for patreon thoughts um, and this is mainly because patrons used to get the majority of episodes two days early, but they now get them six days early. Um, and because of that, I wanted to give them an opportunity to not only give their thoughts, but also if they've got a podcast to kind of give them a bit of a plug, um, as well as highlight any episodes they may have done on the, the same or a similar subject matter. But when it came to covering Coco, there was really one person that I had in mind to get their thoughts first. Um, she's not only a patron, she is a very good friend of mine. She's been a friend of mine for five years. Um, and she's also Mexican-American. So it seemed quite apt to get her thoughts on this movie. So I recently had a chat on Skype with my friend Claudia. And here is what she had to say about Coco. The first thing that I really want to know, how important and significant you feel that Coco is to to you personally as a Latina? Huge. Absolutely huge. <laughs> huge. I never, like, I never expected it to be, um, to be this good. I don't know if you're familiar with the fact that Disney tried to trademark Dia de los Muertos. Did you mm, know this? Yes, yes, I am. Okay, so yeah, from then we were, like, we were really upset. We weren't going to watch the film. They ended up getting um, this um, Latino, this Mexican, I think he's Mexican-American, named Lalo Al... Lalo, we'll just call him Lalo. Named Lalo, um, he just destroyed Disney online. He just destroyed them. He um, wrote about them. And then Disney actually hired him to help as a consultant for the film. So, okay, that was cool. 
Um, we watched the trailer. Okay, it looks good. We watched the film. Completely blown away. I loved it. I loved seeing Mexico and Mexican culture in a very positive way. Um, as we've talked in the past, I mean, you know, especially in like the States, uh, Mexican culture tends to be very stereotypical. Um, you know, we have a lot of films and television programs about the drug industry in Mexico. And, you know, that happens over there. I understand it's out there, but also there's something very beautiful about the culture that I feel that um, isn't uh, presented in, in a way where people could um, appreciate it. And so you genuinely feel like Coco does that? Oh, absolutely. They did yeah. so much research. Um, my mom lived in León, Guanajuato, and the city where, um, you know, where you see like the cemetery, that's León. That's Guanajuato, sorry. That's that's the state of Guanajuato. Um, and she tells me that, that she watched the film. She's like, that's the architecture. It's very colonial. It's very um, old fashioned. And that's how they celebrate Dia del Muerto. De los, I'm sorry, Dia de los Muertos over there. Yeah, it's it's a bit of a tongue tie, isn't it? <laughs> In the yeah. conversation that we've had yeah. before I started recording, I got it wrong so many times. <laughs> okay, it's okay. It's it's yeah. not a, Spanish is not an easy language to speak. Yeah, it, especially I'm, if you're coming like... from English. Yeah, it's not easy. Like yeah. I had a really hard time learning English. So, uh, but obviously, as listeners can tell, like your English is perfect. Like, <laughs> yes, I learned it from masterpiece theater and soap operas. <laughs> So obviously you are yourself of Mexican heritage, but obviously you are American. It's quite clear that listeners will tell that you are American, (laughs) but obviously you are a very proud Mexican American. Is the sort of Mexican culture, Dia de los Muertos, is that something that you are still very keen to kind of do with your family? Because obviously you have two children. Is that something that you speak to your children about? Do they understand the Day of the Dead and what it all means? Um, we, I explained it to them. We have the little altar, um, and it was just kind of like something in the back of their minds. You know, of course they have Halloween, which, you know, Mexican, Dia de los Muertos is not Mexican Halloween. They had Halloween, they preferred Halloween, but they watched Coco. They saw the, you know, the whole idea of Dia de los Muertos, they took it and now they really want to celebrate it. And that's what I was really happy about, that it, um, it really introduced that part of Mexican culture to children who may not um, be very familiar with it and whose parents may not celebrate it, you know, once they get to the States. Do you feel like it is something that is kind of very Mexico-centric? See, the whole idea of Coco is that you remember people and that you obviously celebrate their life. It's not about mourning their death. It's about a celebration of life. Um, And sometimes, obviously traditions and things can be lost especially mm-hmm. if you do live in a, in a different country especially a country that doesn't celebrate that tradition I know you can't really speak for the Mexican community it's all about <laughs> it's okay I've talked to my I've spoken to my cousins and my nephews in Asia so I got some info from them <laughs> I remember I think oh my gosh and I want to say it was Octavio Paz who said this um, who's a Mexican poet, and he said that, you know, like in New York, London, Par- I'm paraphrasing, okay, like in New York and Paris and London, they don't really speak about death. You know it's there, you know, but it's something you're not necessarily very comfortable speaking about. Mexico takes death, and we run away with it. Um, I'm going to send you some photographs. I still have part of my grandma's alt- altar up, and I have something called the Catrina, which uh, is like a pep 
paper mache of a woman who is a skeleton but dressed up like a bride. Um, we have all of that. We have all of that like year round. We understand that death is all around us. Um, and we, I don't, it sounds morbid, we sort of embrace it. And yeah, we talk about people who have passed, we talk about them as if they are here. Um, in fact, for my grandmother, her, um, we visit her grave three, four times, five times a year to decorate. Like we just decorated her grave for Christmas. We'll go back for Valentine's Day. We'll go back for Easter, for Mother's Day, for Halloween. I mean, it's just, it's us. Um, I'll send you photographs of her grave and I might have photographs of the cemetery because where she's buried, it's a mostly um, Mexican, Mexican-American centralized um, cemetery and all of the graves are decorated all of the time. There are flowers and wow. trees. We have um, like little toys that they have. It's really cool. It's really amazing, really. When you see it in Coco, I don't think you appreciate like how beautiful it could look to have all of these graves all sort of beautifully decorated and lit. And and obviously with the, the petals and the fact that they have to obviously make a trail of the petals so that the spirits can come. It's just it's just really it's a really nice feeling. And I know it's it's weird because you're talking about death, but it feels really nice to know that the people who are no longer with you in life they are still kind of with you um and it's something that I've kind of always believed um you know in the back of my head but I've never really had any way to visualize it or understand it until I saw Coco I think Coco is just a really wonderful explanation especially for children who might be afraid of death and afraid of loss to help them understand that these people haven't truly gone. They're only gone when you forget them and when you stop telling stories. One of the things that I did want to just kind of finish with, is there anything about Dia de los Muertos that isn't kind of really featured in Coco, but that you really want people to know about? Or do you feel like Coco really does summarise it pretty perfectly? Let me... Uh, it does it is a fantastic job at doing it I love the way it was portrayed what I would have liked to portray a bit more was You're the idea the way, yeah. hang on a second sorry the idea of La Catrina um like I said I'm going to send you pictures of this it's um you've seen the the face um painting right of women and men with the skeleton and the flowers yeah right okay so it's sort of like that I wish they would have done something more with that um, because that's something that is really important, and you do have the statues of La Catrina, El, more so La Catrina, El Catrin, nobody really pays attention to him. I would have liked to have seen that. And also, this idea that in Mexico, death is a woman. It's, you You really, like, don't see a lot of the Grim Reaper. My grandmother used to say that she would show up in black with, you know, the big black um, hat, and she would show up in um, a stagecoach for you. I wish well, they would have done something like that. It's quite interesting because in this episode, I'm going to be talking a little bit about the Book of Life, mm -hmm. uh, which obviously came out a few years before Coco. But in the Book of Life, obviously, Muerta is, she is yeah. death. And then you obviously have her counterpart, um, Zabalba. In a way, then, the Book of Life, where it actually depicts death, as this female character and she she does have this like massive hat and with like candles yeah. on it but i mean coco is i think it's the 17th highest grossing animated movie ever so <laughs> it didn't I think it's it's still number one in mexico i don't know yeah. if endgame 
actually, you know, dethroned it. It might have, but it was huge in Mexico. It made such an impact over there. And for the most part, I'd say about 90% of Mexicans that I've spoken to loved it. They thought it really portrayed the culture perfectly. It wasn't heavy handed. Um, you know, they could have done something with pan del muerto, which is the bread that is made um, traditionally in Mexico. And it is, you know, bought in November. I don't like it. I think it's really bland. <laughs> we do buy it. I didn't like it. I'm like, it's not very good. But they did great. And Mexico, for the most part, like I said, loved it. They thought it was perfect. That's the most important thing. Obviously, for Disney, it is about the money. But mm-hmm. the fact that they have actually been culturally sensitive and thorough and they've done their research and they've depicted something that is so important to Mexico and to Mexicans and they haven't made a stereotype out of it. I think they really have been incredibly thorough. And I think this conversation that we're having kind of proves that. Uh, I know that it doesn't, we don't need to prove it. <laughs> we don't need to prove it. But but it's, I think it's really nice that that you feel that way and that people that you've spoke to feel that way. This is everything that I love <laughs> about animation. The mm-hmm. fact that you can make this beautiful world come to life with computers I mean it's it's just phenomenal really <laughs> I mean I, and you're right and I, I was thinking about what you said because it is I like that it is approachable to people who aren't familiar with Mexican culture but if you're Mexican if you're Mexican-American you got all the all the easter eggs you know you got El Santo um who's a wrestler you got Maria Feliz you got I like the way Frida was was um portrayed because it, they didn't make Frida into the stereotypical artist they had Frida they she acted like Frida she recognized um Dante as a solo solo um you know Frida, solos were very important to Frida um like I said you're Mexican you got those as yeah. you know someone who's not you'd still you know you're like hey that's cool I know that artist right and I like that they portrayed her and not Diego Rivera. Because she's Frida. She's important. Yeah, I know I know who uh, I know who Frida is. because uh, I don't I think everyone knows <laughs> who Frida Kahlo is. Um but yeah, that that was really the only cameo character that I I got straight away. Um I'll admit I didn't really pick up on anyone else. Like um the wrestler, I, I was like, I have no idea who that is. Santo, <laughs> obviously, yeah. Obviously, huge. Obviously, really important person. No yeah, idea. The films, they're really funny. The films are right. And the, I believe the actress who is accompanying him is Maria Feliz. And she is, I can't think of any actress who is like Maria Feliz. She is like, they call her the La Doña, which is like the lady of Mexican cinema. Wow. I can't think of anyone who's comparable, I guess. Maybe Judy Dench, maybe. Wow. <laughs> but Maria Feliz is like she was controversial. She was she had lovers, she had many husbands, she was drinking, people wrote sto- wrote um songs about her. Oh yeah, she was she was so badass. <laughs> I was so happy to see her. <laughs> I'm really happy that we've sort of been able to have this little mini kind of interview conversation. Uh, this has been really awesome. Thank you so much. Hey, for no problem. This podcast. Um, 
and and obviously for supporting verbal diorama as well because you've literally <laughs> been supporting me from day one how could i not it's, it's a great concept um it's it's great you bring great insight into it and i don't think you should really necessarily be afraid of taking like okay i can't speak for every single mexican or mexican american like you said but i think you're very sensitive when it comes to culture and you want to learn about it you're not just throwing it out there because it's in vogue I think that's very respectful and it's great and you're willing to learn about it. Um, I did want to say something that's going to sound a little controversial, but I got to throw it out there. I liked the portrayal of Miguel and his family. Okay, Grandma Mama Coco is everybody's Mexican grandma. Everybody had a grandma like that. That was my grandma too. But the fact that they are portrayed as Mexicans, one of them is wearing, you know, the soccer jersey of the Mexican national team. Um, they have darker skin because a lot of the problems, and I can send you videos on this, of these Mexican telenovelas is the protagonist and, you know, the woman and man who are the protagonists genuinely have lighter skin. And the characters with darker skin are usually put as the antagonist or they're put um, kind of as like maids or nannies. And that's something that I love that Coco took and blew that out of the water and said, this is what they look like. Because in Mexico, um, the, in, the people, the indigenous people of Mexico are generally looked down upon. It's changing now, but it was sort of seeing some, it's sort of very, like very, very stereotypical, like, oh, you know, they don't understand the language. They're not cultured. They're not educated. That makes sense. But my kid can see himself as Miguel. Miguel my kid can see himself as Miguel. Yeah. I really appreciated that. Although he doesn't yeah. want to dress up as Miguel. I, <laughs> I was really mad. I was so mad about that. <laughs> no, but I think. That's that's ultimately what it's all about. It's it's all about representing the actual community that this movie is portraying. This is this is supposed to be small town Mexico. This is supposed to be a tiny town in the middle of nowhere. Like you say, this this is actually representing the skin tone of small town Mexico. I was really happy about that. Yeah. No, I, I can fully understand and appreciate why you would be. I'm so grateful. Thank you so much for coming on. To share the culture, especially somebody who's interested in learning about it and not sort of just pigeonhole us into what, um, how can I say this? Um, you know, there's sort of this negative stereotype around Mexican culture. Like I said, very centered around violence and, you know, the bad hombres who come from Mexico. Mm. Um, and I really appreciate you taking the time and saying, you know what, that's not true. And I love that. Thank you so much. You have no idea how much this means to us. Um, My mom was so happy when she found out you were doing this. I mean, she's, she's the kind of person, she doesn't like films. She saw Coco. She loved Coco. Yeah. That's important. Everyone's gangsta until they see Coco. Everybody I know has cried in Coco. Yeah. Just because you're an American, it doesn't mean you're not a bad person. Just because you're Mexican, it yeah. doesn't mean that you're a bad person, you know? So yeah, we're not yeah. all bad people. <laughs> exactly. No, I know this. But if I would have one hope from a movie like Coco, it would be that someone who thinks that could watch Coco and then it might change their mind and it might make them sort of actually start to appreciate Mexican people and their culture. One small opportunity to learn about someone else you should take it and not only just take it but actually like learn something from it you know 
Um, and I think if everyone did that, then the world would probably be a better place. And yeah, anyway, I don't really want to dwell on. No, 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 no. I, I get it. I mean, <laughs> where I live, it's like, you know, it's right across the border. I stand in my university. I can see Mexico. It's right there. Yeah. It's so close by. I'll take you one day. Yeah. When all this finishes up. I'll take yeah. you. We can go have margaritas where they were invented and have street tacos. Yeah, I would absolutely love that. <laughs> well, th- thank you for having me. I, I really, like I said, I really appreciate you taking the time. I think it's it's wonderful. Thank you. No, thank you for so much for coming on and for, I guess, confirming that Coco, just the significance and the, and the cultural importance of Coco. And obviously, once again, a massive thank you to Claudia for taking time out of her busy day to come on Skype and talk to me about Coco. Um, She did have some really interesting things to say uh, when we weren't recording. And one of the things that she said was I asked her specifically, is it Dia de los Muertos or Dia de Muertos? Because obviously it's often referred to as both. Um, And I wanted to know what is the correct way to say it. And this was she, we weren't recording at the time, but she did say that she'd actually consulted uh, with her family in Mexico and that Dia de los Muertos was the correct way to say it. Obviously, you can also call it Dia de Muertos, but she confirmed that Dia de los Muertos uh, was correct. So that's why I've been calling it that. Obviously, some people may disagree with that, but I was like, I need to ask someone who really does know. Um, so I asked her. Um, the next person that I want to go to is good friend of the podcast, Andy, from Geek Salad. Uh, he is also uh, one of our patrons of the podcast. And he said, Coco, as well as Soul, is the spiritual counterpart to Inside Out. Its interpretation of Dia de los Muertos is fresh, lively and surprisingly funny, much like Pixar interpreted our emotions in Inside Out. It allows us to look at death not as a thing to be sad about, but to rejoice in the ascension of those who have passed and the lives that they lead in the afterworld as long as they are remembered. As Pixar's first musical, its songs are elegant and authentic to the Mexican background of the movie. And like all good Pixar movies, there were tears in my eyes by the end. A complete joy of a movie and one that deserves to be remembered. And on a side note, Coco placed number two, right behind Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, in our ranking of the best animated films of the past decade. And that episode, by the way, is episode 189. There are two parts, there's part one and part two. The episode is called Into the Anniverse, and I highly recommend you listen to that because, of course, I did get involved in that episode in a small way. And obviously, I recommend you listen to Geek Salad as a whole. What I will do is I will put links to those episodes in the show notes um, so that you can find them easily, uh, links to their website. And the final patron comment comes from Derek and Laurel at The Midnight Myth. Um, I assume this is Laurel, um, but she says... A visual feast, a musical odyssey, and another triumph for Pixar in its slate of emotionally complex, thoughtful stories for audiences of all ages. Love how it comments on what we share with the world versus what matters to us in our private worlds. I didn't write Remember Me for the World. I wrote it for Coco. Heart emoji. And The Midnight Myth have also done an episode on Coco. It's episode number 82. It's called The World Is Me Familia. Again, I will pop an episode link in the show notes for that episode, but I absolutely recommend it. The Midnight Myth are brilliant at looking at the history and mythology. And like I say, I think there is a wealth of mythology and legend and lore kind of surrounding the stories that are told in Coco. Um, So absolutely check out that episode from The Midnight Myth. Moving over to Twitter, we have at BLC Agnew, who said, 
Coco is like watching Pixar bring in some new talent to play the hits, only to see the new voices really blossom in the telling and create something new and moving and wondrous. An exploration of life, death, love and music that stands among the studio's best work. At Derek Jones 198 who's from the Midnight Myth, <laughs> says, Been pretty absent from social media for a while. Can't wait to listen. Another one the Midnight Myth did as well. Obviously, did just mention that, but um, obviously Derek's been absent. He didn't know that Laurel had already commented. But uh, he also says, Coco is easily hands down my fave Pixar movie. I love every second of it. At Spy Hard said, Pixar's best work since Up, a heartfelt story that actually evokes some emotion out of my blackened heart, not to mention the stunning animation, absolutely worth a watch. At OSW Podcast One said, I made the mistake of dismissing this movie as it didn't seem like something I'd care for. Once I watched it on Netflix, it instantly became one of my favourites. What a great story. At False Starts Pod said, Never fails to make me cry. Utterly stunning. It makes me poco loco. At Beaver Does said, Loco for that Coco. At Wulong Talks said, A gorgeous and uplifting movie, full of colour and vibrancy. I loved every minute of it. You run out of superlatives for Pixar movies these days, but Coco is stupendous. At Hugo's Post said, Is that that their movie with the Mexicans and that their Book of the Dead? Question mark. I think it might be, Hugo. I think it might be. Over on Instagram, we have at AFC Film Geek, who said, For me, the best Pixar film to date. Such a beautiful story with a soundtrack to match. And finally, over on Facebook, we have Maggie. Maggie's comment was in Spanish. Claudia actually translated it for me uh, because Maggie is Claudia's cousin. Uh, So this is what Maggie said uh, as translated by Claudia. She said, Coco is an excellent film as it shows to a great degree the importance of Dia de los Muertos to the Mexican people. Although our loved ones have passed, we will always remember them. We honour their memories by displaying their most favourite foods, drinks and the items they used on their altar. The imagery, especially the decorations in the film, were phenomenal. I especially appreciated the use of the flowers most famously associated with the holiday. I appreciate that the filmmakers took the time to research and study the celebration as to show the beauty of Dia de los Muertos and how the holiday is accessible and can be celebrated by other cultures. I love this movie. Thank you to everyone for providing your comments on Coco. And I think it just goes to show that Coco really is pretty much universally beloved by everyone, as it should be. Looking at a movie like Coco, um, it's quite interesting because as Coco entered the world in 2017, so did an awful lot of vitriol and hatred towards Mexicans, um, mainly started by the, the current outgoing American president. And Mexico is not a nation of criminals. Uh, it's a nation of beauty, you know, both in culture, tradition, language and people. And the movie Coco is incredibly important to me. Um, seeing the photos on the ofrenda reminded me of my family's tradition to keep photos of our loved ones in our houses. My parents have always done it. And now I have photos of my grandparents in my house. And Coco makes me think that there might be a way that they can always visit. And that we really should cherish our grandparents and their stories. I've mentioned my granddad on this podcast before because without him, it wouldn't exist. My granddad always told stories and it's those stories I hope to pass down to the next generation so that they will know him. And if spirits can pass over, then maybe everyone who we've lost from this world is just having a great time being remembered in another world. And that's kind of how I like to think. Um, And without a movie like Coco to reinforce that view, 
it kind of makes you think of death in a different way. And that's quite nice. Um, It kind of gives me a bit of comfort, really, especially in the world that we're currently living, where people are dying from a virus. And it's incredibly sad. And in many ways, incredibly scary. But you have to kind of have hope that if they are no longer with us, then hopefully they are somewhere like the land of the dead and they are having a good time because we are remembering them. And ultimately, Coco tells us life is a celebration. Celebrate your life while you can and let your ancestors celebrate it when you're gone. Tell your stories so they can tell your stories or just start a podcast and tell your story for you. However you want to do it, just tell your stories. Thank you for listening. As always, I would love to hear your thoughts on Coco. Um, Obviously, if you do like this episode, um, please take a moment to rate and review on something like Apple Podcasts or Podchaser. That would be wonderful. Um, Or tell your friends, because either way, it just gives me a bit of a massive boost, um, which is always nice. If you like this episode on Coco, you might also like the following episodes. Obviously, I've covered a lot of animation on this podcast. I didn't want to recommend every single animated movie that I'd ever done. But I want to take a moment to (laughs) recommend episode 17, The Iron Giant, because that really does not get the love it deserves, and it really deserves it. Episode 29, Kubo and the Two Strings. Kubo and Coco are very linked um, in many ways, in theme and um, in content and in beauty. Um, Kubo is very visually different to Coco. Obviously, Kubo is stop motion. It's a lot darker than Coco. Um, But if you do like Coco, I pretty much guarantee that you will love Kubo and the Two Strings. I also wanted to recommend episode 30, which is The Incredibles, just because it's incredible. It's Pixar. It's brilliant. And it was also the most downloaded episode of 2020. So a lot of people love The Incredibles. Episode 35 was Spirited Away. Uh, That is obviously a Studio Ghibli movie, but it has quite similar themes. And it obviously is set in a spirit world. And again, it's Hayao Miyazaki. I guarantee that you will love that movie regardless of what you think about Coco. But who doesn't like Coco? Is there anyone who doesn't like Coco? I don't think there is. Episode 50, Toy Story, because that's how Pixar started. And episode 55, which was on Moana. Um, As I said, there are a lot of similarities really between Coco and Moana. But really, the, the kind of main difference between them is that Moana did have a little bit of a cultural backlash, whereas Coco has not. And as you heard from Claudia... The Mexican community really have embraced Coco. They really do believe that it's culturally significant and culturally accurate. Moana didn't really have that in its entirety, but Moana is still a great movie and a really wonderful look at Polynesian culture. Like I said, movies like this are so great because they open up a window into a culture that you don't know anything about. Um, And if you can just take the time to get to know something about someone else's culture, it will enrich your life and it might actually make you a better person. So so why not use these movies in a positive way to actually learn something? Give me feedback on my recommendations. Do you think I got it right? Do you think I missed anything? Let me know. Next episode, um, we're actually going to be returning to Don Bluth. And it's been 75 episodes since I featured a Don Bluth movie. That was episode one, which was Titan AE. So 75 episodes later... I am going back to Don Bluth. His most acclaimed work is undoubtedly The Secret of Nim. Uh, It is a dark fantasy movie. It's beautiful traditional animation. And although it was released in 1982, it's in no way the oldest animated movie of this season. Oh, no, 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 no. We are going way back. 
uh, for some of these movies. But I hope that you will join me next week for The Secret of Nim. It is completely different to Coco in pretty much every regard, but it's still a wonderful movie. And Don Bluth, as an animator, is his style is so distinctive. Um, and yeah, I hope you'll join me for that. If you want to follow me or chat to me on social media, I am on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and also on Letterboxd. I am regularly post on all four of those. You can sign up to support the show if you wish at patreon.com slash verbal diorama. Uh, tiers start at $2 or £2 a month. I was doing something last year called 20 in 2020. I kind of wanted to get to 20 patrons in 2020. I didn't quite get there. I mean, I got to 18 and I was more than happy to get to 18. Um, and so really, I guess I'm just going to carry on and just say, well, you know, Getting to 20 patrons would be really nice. So if you would like to support the show financially, um, that would be great. And you can sign up on Patreon. Um, but as always, you're under no obligation to do so. And as I said earlier, patrons now get episodes six days early. So episodes are usually released on a Thursday and the patrons will have that episode the previous Friday. So I'm trying to give patrons as much value for their hard-earned money as possible. And always a massive thank you to the patrons of Verbal Diorama. They are Simon E, Sade, Hardy L, Claudia, Simon B, Laurel, Derek, Jason, Kristen, Kat, Andy, Mike, Griff, Luke, Emily, Michael, Matt, Trevor and Scott. A massive thank you to them for having my photo on their offenders. That's not weird, you guys. Honest. Uh, <laughs> you can check out my merch store if you want. Uh, it's teespring.com slash store slash verbal diorama. And if you do want to get in touch, it's verbal diorama at gmail.com or verbal diorama.com and you can fill out a little contact form. The content over at filmstories.co.uk is currently uh, on a little holiday at the moment, a little Christmas break, uh, but I will be starting that up again sort of mid January ish doing my podcast recommendations, doing my iPlayer list, and obviously I'll be doing more magazine columns as well. So please make sure you check out Film Stories and you support them. And finally, there was only really one thing that I could end with. Remember me. Mama Coco, your papa, he wanted you to have this. <gasps> Mama, wait. Secret song to you each night we are apart. Remember me, though I have to travel far. Remember me each time you hear a sad guitar. Know that I'm with you. used to sing me that song. He loved you, Mama Coco. 
your papa loved you so much. And if that doesn't get you, then nothing will. Bye. Movie